All right, so we are in Hebrews chapter 13. I want to draw your attention to verse 12. Notice what it says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. And this is very crucial what he's saying right here. And I'm not going to preach the entire book of Hebrews to you right now, but the book of Hebrews, it, the writer is trying to get the Hebrews, Jewish people, to understand that following after Christ, leaving the things of the old covenant, leaving the things of the temple was actually obedience to the scripture. And just like in the Old Testament, they had those sacrifices that were taken without the gate. Jesus Christ was taken without the gate outside the temple area and he was taken to a hill. He was crucified on a cross. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling the Hebrews, let's follow him. That one who suffered without the gate, he says in verse 13, let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. He's warning Hebrews, if you follow after Christ, you're going to be reproached. People are going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. And that's exactly what Jews did to their own Jewish brethren who obeyed the scriptures, who obeyed the law of Moses and who followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And they accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah and who left the things of the temple, who left the sacrifices. Those people were actually in obedience to the word of God. And as a result, they were reproached. They were hated. And so the book of Hebrews has been showing all these things that have changed. Hey, we don't have a Levitical priesthood anymore. We've got a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. We don't have animal sacrifices anymore. We have the one-time sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so throughout Hebrews, he's been telling them all these things that we're not doing anymore. But he says there's some things we're still going to do. For example, in Hebrews 10, he said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. One thing they weren't supposed to quit doing as a people was assembling together. Now, that was something they did under the Old Covenant. They would often assemble together. And while a lot of things changed, the writer of Hebrews made sure they understood, don't change this assembling. You keep that going. In fact, you do that so much the more as you see the day approaching. So here, he tells them, we're following after Christ. We're following him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here, we have no continuing city. We don't have a headquarters. We don't have a city like Jerusalem. We don't have an earthly temple anymore. That's something that changed under the new covenant. But we seek one to come. By him, by Jesus Christ, therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Did you know God still wants sacrifices even though we're in the New Testament era? God still wants sacrifices. But not animal sacrifices. You know what he wants? The sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name. God, that's a sacrifice according to the book of Hebrews and God wants us to still do that. That's something that has not changed. You know what else hasn't changed? He said in verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You know what else he said not to forget? To communicate. And when he's talking about that, he's not talking about verbal communication like we talk about today, that word communicate, it means partnership or participation. It means or distribution, fellowship. He wants them to continue in partnering and financially speaking. We're going to see this word used several times in the New Testament and it's always referring to financial giving. That is another thing that the writer of Hebrews is saying, this needs to keep going. This is something we're specifically going to continue. And people often, they act like we pick and we choose what we're still going to follow from the Old Testament. 
And it's not that we pick and choose. We just let the Bible pick and choose for us. There's some things that specifically said you don't have to do anymore. And there's other things that specifically said you keep doing that. And right here is something that it specifically mentions giving. What we're going to do tonight, we're going, I'm going to debunk arguments against tithing. And this is a subject that always makes people nervous. Not me. Uh, I'm not nervous about it at all because it's just something that, um, you know, giving, I should say, is a ex- very biblical thing to do. And I would be derelict of my duties if I were to not preach on it. And I don't preach on it a lot. I mean, I usually do around business meeting time of year just because we talk about money during this time. But maybe twice at the most a year do I ever really preach on this subject. So, I, And I'm not embarrassed by it all. I probably should preach on it more. But the truth is, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to tithing, there is no way you can make somebody do it if they don't want to do it. You can't do it. I haven't figured out how to strong arm anybody in to do it. And if I could figure it out, I wouldn't do it. Because that's not how we're supposed to do things. But if you're determined in your heart to just justify freeloading uh, in your local church and selfishness, there is no shortage of internet characters out there who will use the word of God deceitfully to soothe your conscience. And I know, listen, I'm made out of the same rotten flesh that you all are made out of. I know what you want to hear. And there are plenty of people out there that will tell you what you want to hear. In fact, they all say the same things. They all have the same arguments. And it's just proof, too, they're just copying off each other because there's no way any two people would read a scripture and come to that conclusion you came to. No two people are, from separate places are going to read the Bible and come to that ridiculous conclusion that you came to. It's one of the proofs that you're not interpreting the Bible right. But let me just say this. There is also no shortage of pro-tithing preachers who are out there that do a really bad job of using the Word of God correctly when trying to prove someone should tithe. There just, there's a lot of bad teaching that's promoting tithing. And we got to watch out. We don't want to give ammo to the enemy. And so in this message, I, I not only want to debunk arguments against tithing, but I also want to correct bad teaching that's in favor of tithing. There's a lot of things that we say in our zeal for it that just aren't factually correct. And we're not helping the cause when we do that kind of thing. And so... You know, when you're dealing with someone's money, I just understand that's one of those times when they're actually going to look up what you're teaching. You know, they're, they're actually going to make sure you're using the word of God correctly. All of a sudden now, doctrine's going to matter a lot. So if we're going to, if we're going to get people doing this, we got to preach it right. And so I want, first thing I want to do, I want to correctly teach this subject as, as brief as I can and also deal with some of the technical errors. And then we're going to kind of get to some of the debunking. Of it, And I just picked one of the classic internet characters that is against tithing. I picked Robert Breaker. He's got a whole video against it, and he uses the same arguments everyone else does. So I'm not just like making up straw men things. I went and watched his whole video, and it was just, it was, I was embarrassed for him at the arguments that he came up with. So, uh, but he's not the only one saying this foolishness. There's other people out there that are copying him, or he's copying. But first thing we need to understand, and again, I already kind of covered this going through Hebrews 13, is there are some sacrifices that God is still pleased with. I mean, he flat out told them to, co- be, uh, to uh, communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, you better believe giving any of your money to the local church, it is a sacrifice. You are taking something that is, is yours. You're taking something that you could be using for yourself and you are choosing of your own free will to bring that to the house of God and giving it to the work of God, how is that not a sacrifice? You better believe that's a sacrifice. 
Okay, now if you think you're going to give your tithe and it's going to wash away your sins, you got another thing coming. It's not going to do that at all. It's not going to cleanse you of your sin. It's not going to make up for some bad thing. Listen, if you went and you did something really bad this week, don't think throwing an extra $100 bill in the offering is going to make up for that. Okay, listen, if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Hey, there's, there's nothing when you go and you sin, you can't just go and do a sacrifice and there, I'm all good. We've talked about that before. People think I can be wicked, but as long as I do it, put an extra hour of soul winning, I'm all good. Wrong. No, you're still, you're still in trouble with God. He's going to punish you for sinning willfully. So your extra soul winning time, extra money in the offering doesn't make up for that. Only the blood of Christ cleanses sins. But offering a sacrifice to God out of love God's pleased with that kind of thing. And, it is, and you better believe it's a sacrifice. And we were told in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, a book written to Jews trying to get them to leave the things of the Old Testament, they flat out said, keep doing that. Flat out said, keep that up. That communicating is a very good thing. And, and so, a tr- here's what you got to understand too. Okay? And, and a lot of what I'm going to cover here is going to already debunk a lot of the arguments against it. Uh, so we might do a little bit of repeating, but here's what you have to understand too. Because it's like, okay, well, fine. You know, we should still give, but I don't have to give to the church. I can just give to whatever I want to. I can give to Save the Whales. I can give to the local soup kitchen. I can, you know, I can, I can give to whatever I want, right? But wait a minute, no. We're talking about communicating. We're talking about partnership. Okay? We're talking about joining up with something and financially being a part of it, contributing to it. And I do, I believe that if you are a part of a local church, that you also should be a part of, you know, what makes it run financially speaking. And then what people they'll do, they'll start bringing up their vision for a church that has all of their priorities. And, and listen, I could spend a lot of time on this. I'm trying to figure out how I can briefly cover this. But let me just say this, okay? Churches have the liberty, churches have the authority to decide how they want to um, designate their finances, prioritize their finances. A church has the right and the authority to do that. And whenever you become a part of the church, you should get with the program of that church. So when it comes to some churches, they might you know, have a certain percentage of their budget that goes towards payroll. One church might have a higher percentage than another church. You say, well, that's not biblical. That's not right. It should be this number. There is no number in the Bible. We have a, the church has the liberty to decide how they want to do that. Some churches, a big portion of their finances goes towards missions. And you say, ah, you know, I, I think it should go more. To-. Listen, what you, when you start your own church, you can figure out how you want to prioritize those things. Uh, some churches, they prioritize bus ministry. They spend thousands of dollars every year on buses. And that's an expensive ministry that does not bring in money. But you know what? It gets a lot of people saved. Well, I think soul winning would get just as many people saved cheaper. Okay, then you know what? When you start your church, you put all the focus and emphasis on the soul winning. Churches can do that. And there are, there are some churches that they are, a lot of the ministry is centered around the bus route. If that's what that church wants to do, they can do that. If you don't like that, you don't have to go to that church. 
You know, I, you know, I would prefer a church. I mean, obviously, when it comes to priorities, I started this church and the past of this church. If you want to know kind of what my priorities are, look at what we do here. <laughs> you know, but am I going to get up here and try to take this Bible and show you our percentages of where we designate everything is the most biblical? Folks, you can't do that. Every church is different. Some churches they have, they you know they they do they have more emphasis in other areas, and we have the liberty to do those things. And we live in you know and in this in 2023 in this age of social media, you know everybody has this attitude. Well, my opinion is what matters more than anything, and I can always find a community of village idiots that you know think like I do. But listen, understand. When you go into a church, you need that, you know, it's not about your individual opinion. It's what we as a church decide to, to do as a group. It's about being of one mind. And I've preached messages on this before. And us being of one mind does not mean we all think exactly the same. But it does mean we are all agreeing to participate in a certain way. So, for example... Okay, I said somebody on a comment like criticize our ratio of songs to preaching. Okay, can you show me the Bible on that? I mean, so is, is, is 20 minutes too long for song service or should I, is 15 minutes okay? All right, or is 30 minutes? I mean, you know, well, I need the Bible on how much we can do. Now, I've heard preachers and, you know, we do. I mean, obviously, if I go to a church and they have 45 minutes of singing and 15 minutes of preaching, I'm going to look at that and I'm going to be like, I don't particularly care for this. But am I going to get and say, that's not biblical? Where's the Bible verse that says how to do that? And here's what we, here's what we IFB people just need to understand. You know, we are. We're independent, fundamental, Baptist. There's a culture that comes with that. It's not all based on Bible commands. You understand that? And uh, there's other churches, they might do things a little bit differently that's not very IFB-ish, but it's not necessarily unbiblical. Now, I want this to be an independent fundamental Baptist church. And so we typically conform to that type of thing. But it's not the only way things can be done. Some people try to take the Bible and prove to you that house churches are the way things are supposed to be. And if you have a building, you're not biblical. Well, folks, first off, it is not forbidden to have a building in the Bible at all. Second of all, if you, some places, all you can do is have a house church. In some countries, all you can do is have a house church. It's not unbiblical to have a house church. But you know what? If we as a people, if we as a congregation are like, you know what? We have the money to put towards a building. And we have the money to even have a nice building. Did you know we can decide to do that? We could. You know, we're not more spiritual and we're not more biblical if we just make a sh- you know, meet in a shack. You know, and if we, if you want to have minimalist Baptist church, go ahead and start minimalist Baptist church. But this congregation, we're not, we don't really want that. We want to meet in heat, in a heated building in the winter time and an air conditioned building in the winter time. And did you know it's not unbiblical to enjoy some of the luxuries and things? It's, it's not unbiblical to have technology. It's not unbiblical for us to use microphones. It's not unbiblical for us to do live streams. I can't see one verse in the Bible where they use live stream material, you know, technology. Well, I can't see one verse forbidding it either. So everybody has to stop trying to make the Bible 
teach exactly what they're doing. No, there are areas where we have liberty. And let me tell you, folks, when it comes to your money, you have liberty. When it comes to the church's money, we have liberty. We as a church can decide what to do. And as when we come together and when we unite, we are, we are choosing as a people to get behind something, to support something, to participate in something. And even if something is not 100% to my personal liking, as a member of a church, you know what I should do? I should support what the church is doing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go along. I'm going to support it. The church, they want to put a little more of their budget towards making the building a little more nicer. I'm more spiritual. I'd rather have that go to soul winning. I'd rather have it go to soul. I'd rather have it go to missions. I'd rather have it go to feeding the hungry. Okay. Well, hey, with your extra money that you have, go ahead and put it towards some of that stuff. But, you know, when it comes to what the church decides to do, you ought to get on board with that. And so we, we could talk a lot about that. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. But people think being of one mind means everyone gr- agrees completely with me. No, that's not what that means at all. Not, that's not what it means one bit. So the entire book of Hebrews has been teaching people about the things that God has done with. But God also makes sure to point out things that God has not done with. And the things like assembling, giving, God was not done Galatians 6, 4 says, Let every man prove his own work, and then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So notice that we all know whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's said right before. He's saying, too, to make sure that you're communicating with the one who's teaching in the word. What is that talking about? That's talking about giving. That's talking about contributing. That's talk, talking about partnering up with them. Hey, we're going to help you out. We're going to partner up with you. And that's something that we all do when it comes to a cause that we're behind. When it, when it comes to something we support, we often will communicate with those people. You know, we've communicated with Brother Paul on his documentary that he's working on. Why are we doing that? We're, tr- we're trying to support him. We're trying to support him, you know, in any way that we can because we are for the work that he's doing. And so we've communicated, we've partnered, we've given, we've contributed, we've, we've helped promote, we've done all these things. And as a church, you know, you ought to communicate with, with those who are teaching you in the word. And you know what? We have a way of doing that. We have a way of partnering. Now, back then, they might have had a different system. Back then, the way they partnered or communicated with those who were teaching them in the Word, they might have you know, brought them food. They might have brought meals to them. They might have you know, given them some of their livestock or something like that. They might have had different ways they did it back in those days. But today, we got to be careful. We have this wonderful thing in our nation called the IRS. And so, you know, when it comes to these things, you got to be very careful about how you pay people, you know? And, the, you know, the thing is, It'd be nice if everybody just, you know, instead of just put money in the offering, everybody just slipped me a little something and I didn't have to report it and nobody knew how much I was getting and everybody would be worried if I was getting enough and everybody would probably give a little bit more. The problem is, you know, that's not real organized doing it that way. It would make it easy for me to take an advantage and the IRS wouldn't appreciate it very much if we did it that way. So you know what? The way we do it, you all giving the offering as a church, they decide how... They're, they're going to pay me. We do it all through a payroll service, and then Uncle Sam will leave us alone, you know, because we're doing everything on the up and up. That's the way we kind of have to do it today in 2023 in communist America. But, you know, I guarantee you they didn't do it that way in Paul's day. But is it wrong for us to do it that way? And it would be ridiculous for me to go to the Bible. Well, this is, probably, this is how they probably did it back in the Bible days. This is why we have to do it today. 
It was a different situation, different monetary system. I can't, you know, these churches that have online donations, cashless, you know, that reminds me of the mark of the beast. You know, back in the Bible, they actually had physical coins. They actually had, you know, physical, physical money. That's how you have to do it. Listen, you have to use the monetary system of the day that you're in. Otherwise, it's not going to do any good. Okay, don't put Confederate money in the offering plate. You know, it's not going to help us out here. You know, it, it, you know it's got to be something that works with that situation. So uh, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit they may abound to your account, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, we all know that last verse there, my God shall supply all your need, and a lot of people think, oh, that's me, because I'm saved. God's going to supply all my need. Actually, he said that the people who communicated with him in his affliction, who sent the things that he needed, who Paul also said that you're a partaker in the work that I'm doing. Hey, you know who would be nice to partner with? Guys like the Apostle Paul. That's somebody, you know, I would love to be able to support a guy like the Apostle Paul rather than some of these vacationaries or moochinaries that, that are out there today. Then that surfer missionary that we were talking about the other day. You know, we can communicate. Hey, if we communicate with the surfer missionary, we'll be a partaker of his deeds. The problem is I don't think we're going to get any rewards in heaven for those deeds. You know, we, so we, we want to find people that are doing a work for the Lord and we want to communicate. We want to partner up with them. First Timothy 6.17 Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And so notice again, and that again, that word communicate, it is, it, it's, it's not just giving. It's partnering. It's participating. And that's what we do as a church. As a church, we are a body of believers. And when we come together as a church, we have the authority to decide how we want to do things, how we want to prioritize things, what it is. And whenever we decide what we're going to do, all of us should contribute to that. All of us should participate in that. And guess what? When we're doing good things with it, when we're getting people saved, when we're reaching people, you are a partaker in that. You're a partaker. And so, uh, you know, even somebody who gives to this church that enables us to do a lot of our soulening trips and pays for the materials and all the stuff that we do, even if they don't go out, you know, they're still a partaker in that because they gave. They helped enable it. And so, obviously, I think the best way you can participate is to literally physically be there, but it's not the only way. So, uh, and we don't want to, like, shortchange people. Let me tell you something, too. I know, I know a lot of churches. I know of one church in particular. This church 
it's like one of these big money churches. It's in a nice, fancy area, nice, fancy building. I have been to this church. I, will be, I would be shocked if this church does much soul winning at all. But this church also gives like crazy to missions. I mean, it, it blows my mind. The way this church, they gave, they gave a bunch of money to our church. And you know what? While those, you know, and it's easy for us to look at those people, all oh, those rich country club, Baptists, too lazy to go out soul winning. Hey, you know what? I think they get more blessings if they go out soul winning. But you know, at the same time, they are partakers because they've given to us. They're giving to a lot of people who actually are going out soul winning. So you know what? Let's not beat them up too much. I'm not saying you can buy your way out of soul winning. But you can do it enough to get me to leave you alone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm just saying, they're not doing nothing. Y'all understand that? They're not doing nothing. They've worked hard to earn that money. And they're, them giving that money is enabling other people to be full-time in the ministry and to do things. And so, you know, that's good. That's good. It might not be how we would do things. I wouldn't go to that church. I wouldn't choose to be a member of that church. But I'm not going to say that church is unbiblical. I'm not going to go, you know, just, you know, go hammering that church. But, you know, those aren't, their priorities are not my priorities. That's not a church that I'm going to be a member of. But there's a lot of churches out there that are good churches doing a lot of things for God that I personally would choose not to be a member of, but it's not a slam on that church. So we, we need to understand they're allowed to do what they want to do. And so in every church, you're going to have those who come in for the show, who come in for the perks and the benefits, you know, and we, and we should always love those people. We shouldn't treat them as inferior, but you know what? We also are going to have those who communicate. We're going to have those that are the participants that are partakers in these things. We're going to have those who are the ministers and those who participate. They're the ones that make things work for the church. And another reason we're going to love the people who aren't really participating and are just kind of enjoying or even freeloading, if you want to call it that, we're going to put up with it because we're going to hope that they grow and eventually become participants and are actually a part of what makes this place work. And so, and that they eventually become the ministers because we were all there at one time. I mean, these little kids around here, what are they contributing? All they're doing is, you know, ruining the carpet, you know, destroying the place, messing it up, making more work for us to do. But guess what? We're working on them. And one of these days, all these kids are going to be getting jobs. <laughs> and so, you know, the thing is, you know, let's, let's make church a happy place for these kids. You know, we're, we're thinking about the future. And not just so we can get their money, all right? Not just so we can get their money. We all, we all understand that. But I hope you all kids are paying attention. And I hope you all develop a lot of character and get really smart so you can make really good money. Amen? And um, just don't forget the church be you know to communicate forget not and god is pleased with that. i'm serious about that god is pleased with that and so some people they might not do as much on the financial end but there's people that do a lot on the labor end that also is very valuable both are communicating both are offering sacrifices to god if you are if you're doing physical work around here listen paying anybody to do anything these days costs a fortune that's contributing that's helping a lot, and it's a sacrifice. You could, be, that, you could be using your time some other way. You could be at home watching a movie. You could be at home taking a nap on a couch. But when you come here and you're doing work, it's a blessing. It is a help, and God's pleased with that. And so if you're growing with Christ, you eventually should be someone 
who is communicating and making things work. So uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. So when we kind of explain what communicating is, it's participating and every church can decide how they want to do things. But then what people do is they start to demand that you show them the New Testament verse that says 10%. It's like they miss the point of what you're actually talking about. I, I need that New Testament verse that says 10%. Okay? Now where's that verse that says 10%? Now here's the mistake that a lot of pro-tithing people make. Alright, I'm going to go on eSword. I'm going to search tithes. And I'm going to look up New Testament verses. Ha-ha! Hey, we got one. Oh, look what it says in Hebrews 7 verse 4. Now consider how great this man was who even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Look at that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to read that whole passage. Abraham gave tithes before the law. That proves still 10% today because Abraham did it before the law. Therefore, it is after the law. And guess what? This is mentioned in the New Testament. Well, here's the thing. The fact that we have a New Testament passage that uses the word tithe does not prove a New Testament command of 10%. Okay, that doesn't necessarily prove that. Also, you know, in this here, passage here too is then this is where the dispensationalists all try to out dispensationally each other, you know, by just explaining. I won't even go into some of the weird explanations that they go into because I don't have time. But you know, the whole point of this passage is just showing how Melchizedek was better than Abraham. That's that's the point of this passage. It's showing that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, that even he gave a tenth of the spoils too. And so the before the law card, you know, I think it's a good card that you can play because it's, it shows too, it's not just something that was for the law, for Israel. We have them doing it. Uh, we're not going to take time to turn there too. But even Jacob, you know, he said that he would surely give a tenth to God. Jacob pledged giving a tenth to God even before the law was given. So again, that's an appropriate card, but... What does the New Testament actually say about a percentage or a number? We'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I think that clock back there is moving faster, or I'm just really enjoying myself and wanting to preach on this forever because I'm a Baptist preacher. I don't know. But uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, for, verse 1, For as touching the ministering of the saints, it is superfluous for me to write unto you, for I know the fortness of your mind, for which I boast to you, them of Macedonia, of Achaia, was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked Many. And I'm not going to read this whole passage, but he's talking about them giving. They were giving to the poor saints that were at Jerusalem. And he said in verse 7, now this isn't talking about regular local church giving, actually, too. This is actually talking about a special uh, offering for poor saints, is what he's talking about here. But he says in verse 6, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So right there, people will go to that and say, well, you know, it doesn't give a percentage, it says every man as he purposeth in his heart. But again, this isn't talking about regular contributions. This is a special offering that the Apostle Paul was taking up. So does this prove we just get to pick how much we give? I mean, he was so sparingly, Sharif also sparingly. And so the, here's, here's the, the fact of the matter, okay? Is, you know, what, it, first off, what is sparingly? Can I get a number on that? I mean, what is sparingly? You know, is 2% sparingly? 3%? I, I need the number, folks. Paul doesn't tell us that exactly. 
And the truth is, I do believe under the New Testament that we do. We have liberty. It is about the spirit of giving. It's not about the number. We don't want to get too focused on the number. But you know what? No matter how you look at it, when you give, it's going to be a number, isn't it? It's going to be a number. And I believe, and so I believe in following the Bible principle of tithing, not necessarily the Bible command. Okay? And when it comes to me personally, I don't believe we have this 10% command as New Testament Christians. But we do have a command to not be a freeloader. As part of a church, we're supposed to be participating. Y'all understand that? We do have an expectation to be a people who are trying to please God. And the Bible flat out tells us that giving, that sacrifice, it's pleasing to God and a sweet-smelling savor. That is an that a, a expectation. Giving and being a participant, that is a command. So when it comes to the number, okay, it's not, if, if we make it all about a tithe, a tenth, if we make it all about a percentage, you know, it, I, I can see it does kind of go into that law territory. But here's what you got to understand. When it comes to the number, did you know that no one is going to, no one in this church is going to check up on you, ask to see your W-2, ask to see your tax returns, so we can check and make sure you actually gave 10%. Do you know what, you know we've never done that with one person in this church? You know, probably the only people I have ever checked up on to see if they've tithed live in my house. Those are the only ones. Yeah you, yeah, you better believe I check up on them one time. You know why? Because I do believe in it. I, I do believe in it. And I do want the best for my family. And so you better believe I'm going to be all over their case to make sure that they're tithing. When it comes to all of you, I understand it's between you and God. And as a pastor, I do want the best for you. And so I'm going to get up here and I'm going to preach sermons like this to tell you this. But I'm, I'm not going to hound you for it. I'm not going to check up on you for these things. You know, I, I'm not going to do that because I do want cheerful givers. You know, but I do believe that. So when it comes to, since the Bible doesn't tell us this is the number, the fact that I see the tithe mentioned so much in the Bible, but the fact that I see a tithe being talked about even before the law, and we can go into more examples we're not going to go to on all the examples of the tents. You know what? I'm just going to say that's a baseline right there. That's just a baseline for sure. You know, 10% of whatever I have come in, it's going straight to the work of the Lord. And then the rest of it, it's not about numbers. It's kind of as I feel led. It really is. But I do the 10th because I just want to make sure I'm doing something. And so, um, you know, understand that I do, I believe in the, in the principle and, you know, not necessarily the command. And so, you know, why is it that non-tithers need our agreement and respect so badly? Isn't it interesting? People who don't tithe, they're just, they demand your respect, try to accuse you of putting them under the law. Why are you so sensitive about it? You know, if somebody comes to me and is like, Pastor Tommy, I give 15%. Shame on you for only 10 I mean, man, I'm glad you did 15. You know what? I feel the exact same way. You wouldn't make me feel more guilty if you said you were giving 50%. You know? Hey, wonderful. But you know what? I am at complete and total peace with what I am giving. I wouldn't be at peace if I was giving nothing. I know that. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be at peace if I was giving less than the 10%. So what if I go nine, Pastor? I was going to say, you know what you remind me of? <laughs> you know, don't try... 
what's the politically correct way to say it? Don't, don't go Hebrewing me. Or I don't, I don't want to say it the other way. <laughs> Sorry about that, but it just came in my head. But the, the, all these things that we just covered, you know, when taught correctly, immediately it takes away a lot of the foolishness brought up by the non-tithers. And, and I don't want to act like everything they bring up is stupid because there there's a lot of, of foolish things that pro-tithing people say when trying to get people to tithe. And just understand your misuse of the Scripture to teach a true doctrine will be very unlikely to lead people to the truth. It will be very unlikely. If you ever heard that before, I tweeted it this week because when I put it in my notes, I was like, that's good. I'm tweeting that. But but anyway, let's just go ahead and I want to try to quickly hit some of these common objections to tithing. So I think we all understand that, again, when it comes to tithing, we just know we're supposed to give. Okay, We know that. That It couldn't be more clear in the New Testament that not only should we be givers, but we should also be communicators or partners uh, with our local church. And when when a church decides how they're going to do things, we should participate. If you don't like that, you can go find a church that does things your way. And if you can't find that, go start your own church that does things your way. But again... You, you have no right to just go waltzing into a church and then just try to make that entire church now rearrange its priorities to fit yours. And I wish I had more time to talk about how to deal with that stuff if you feel like the church is unbalanced. I don't really have time for that. But let's go and look at uh, Robert Breaker's arguments, all right? And so I'm going to try to quickly hit these. So the first thing he said was that preachers are wrong for teaching to tithe every week because the dictionary says it's annual. So he literally said, you got these preachers talking about how you need to tithe, bring your tithe check every week. Okay, well, first off, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever said, you make sure you're tithing every week. He, and he's like, in the Bible, it was annual. And then he went to the dictionary definition, I'm not going to take time to read it, where it, where it said specifically, it mentioned it being annual. Well, uh, it says the tenth part of anything, but appropriately the tenth part of the increase annually rising from the profits of the land and stock allotted to the clergy for their support. So, first off, okay, listen, if you get paid annually, then by all means, tithe annually. But if you get paid weekly, tithe weekly. Bi-weekly, bi-weekly. It's just, when you get it, why hang on to it? Okay? When, if, when you get it, if it's the Lord's, you know, and so that's the way I would say Listen, if you get paid daily, I'd still win tithe. You don't take an offering up every day. But again, just as you get it, that's when you give it. It's that simple. And so, you know, back then when they had all their crops and harvest things, you know, harvest time, that was big pay season for them. So, you know, the offerings went up. Now, listen, I would, I would be fine with doing an annual offering if everybody had actually give 10% of what they made for the whole year. But we also need to prepare for that so we can budget that way. That way, with that one week, we don't get this massive offer and be like, man, this is going to be a good year. And then we don't get nothing for the rest of the year. Okay? Now, how many of you think that if you saved your tithe for a whole year, you'd be ready to give it? How, how many of you don't trust yourself to do that? I don't trust myself to do that. Okay? And I do. I believe that I, I, even if you say the Bible doesn't say, it's, you know what? I have declared that I'm going to give a tenth to the Lord. And so I don't, I don't care. I've determined in my heart, I'm giving a tenth to the Lord. So when I do, when I get that check, I don't even put it in my budget. 
I, I, I have it in my budget that it's coming in, but that it's going right out. It's like the first thing. And so the thing, last thing I'm going to do is hang on to it and have the temptation there. So I, you know, so again, because the dictionary mentions annually, now all of a sudden it's unbiblical to preach biweekly tithing unless we have to do it annually. That is just dumb. Okay, if you get annual pay, by all means do it that way. So that's just dumb. He also mentioned that tithing is a tax to pay the clergy. Okay, but we've already seen how the Bible in the New Testament talks about they that labor communicate with those who labor in the Word. If you're taught in the Word, communicate to those who are teaching. The New Testament shows us that. But what he does is he uses a dictionary definition where it calls it a tax. And he knows us Baptists. We hear that word tax. And, you know, we, we screech. Right? We don't like the sound of that, do we? But, again, you've got to understand, too, under the Old Testament, too, it was kind of like a tax. You were. They did kind of enforce it under the law and it was it was uh you know the church and state were all kind of one during that time that's not how it is today okay again we have nobody that's going there's nobody that's going to hunt you down if you aren't giving your tithe it's just it's not going to happen so you know that's a bad argument he said tithing was something that was under the old testament law but we already showed in hebrews god wanted them to continue in communicating so that's a bad argument okay uh, he also, uh, in Breaker and all the anti-tithing people, they bring up how they tithe with food. Now, this is one of the dumbest arguments. And all of them use it. All the non-tithing people use the fact that they tithe with food. And then they all say, I'd like to see what happens if you go to your church and bring them livestock. I'd like to see what would happen if you go to your church and, they, and you, you give them an offering of corn. Okay. Well, first of all, we do have the book of Hebrews where God changed how things work, didn't he? He got rid of the sacrifices. So guess what? We don't need bulls and goats anymore, ladies and gentlemen. But God said, keep giving, didn't he? We don't have, we don't have a Levitical priesthood like they did in that time. But God still said, those who are laboring the word, you communicate with them. Don't muzzle the ox that treadeth the corn. He even went to the Old Paul went to the Old Testament law to prove that to him. So, you know, so again, these things are a bad argument, but here's the thing. You got to, you know, what is the currency today? It, it is, it's, it's cash or it's, it's money. It's dollars in America. Listen, do you get paid with grain? They're always telling these people, go to the church and bring grain and see what they do. Is that what you got paid with? Hey, how about eggs? All right, those are valuable right now. Hey, listen. If you have figured out how to operate without cash, and that's how you get paid with eggs and livestock and things like that, then you know what? Bring it for an offering. You know what? If, if you do, bring me your cow, and then you know I'll pay Brother Sean to butcher it for me, and then you know we'll take the money you know and I'll, that I would have sent to the grocery store or whatever, and put it in the offering. But again, folks, we don't operate like that today. You always have to do things according to the currency of your time. It's just absolutely ridiculous. So yeah, they did it that way back then. But here's a funny thing too. In Deuteronomy 14, in verse 23, it says, Now shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, the place of his name there, the tithe of thy corn, 
of thy wine and of thine oil and the first thing of thy herds and of thy flocks that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. And if the way be too long for thee so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee which the Lord thy God shall choose to set his name there, when the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, then shalt thou turn it into money and bind up the money in thy hand and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. So even then they had a way they could do money. Again, you know, there are some places and there have been some times where there was like a very consistent exchange rate between money and materials and food and cattle and things like that. That is not the way we operate today. And these, it is not commanded that that is the only way you are to give to the work of the Lord. And so because God has changed how we do the work of the Lord, by all means, there's going to be some changes in the giving that goes on. So they did still tithe with money. The church today, we have no use for cattle. But they did back then. They absolutely did back then. And so, uh, and Breaker said that tithe back then was not money. Sometimes it was. And they, and they did. They had an exchange rate back then. That's why the Bible said, too, it was an abomination to have divers' weights and measures. You know why? Because they had a system of exchange that was very specific. And it was an abomination to go and to try to cheat people on that stuff. We don't really have that today, do we? So we have a different monetary system and we have to go by with what we have. And so Breaker also said that if we follow the law, then we should give our tithe to the Jews. Now, here's why he said that. Because they gave the tithes to the Levites and their Jews. They gave it to the people who did the service of God. That was why they got it. Because the Levites were assigned to that. Now, the book of Hebrews specifically gets rid of the Levitical priesthood. We, as Baptists, believe in the priesthood of the believer. So let's just give the tithes to each other then, right? No. 1 Corinthians 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he which ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partakers of the hope. He said, if, if we've ministered you in spiritual things, we should reap your carnal things. This is Paul from the tribe of Benjamin. He's saying we should reap your carnal things. Why? Because he's the one ministering to these people in spiritual things. And he used the principle. He didn't use the letter of the law. He used the principle of the law. Breaker looks at it and is like, we're just supposed to give it to Levites. You just give it to Jews. That is so dumb. They didn't get it because they were Jews. They didn't even get it because so much because they were Levites. They got it because they were doing the work of the Lord. And Paul used those principles to show that those ministering in spiritual things should reap your carnal things. He didn't bring up ethnicity and tribes and foolishness like that. It's, it's amazing what these people do with the Scriptures. And you know what he did? He brought up replacement theology and said that people think pastors are priests. Um... We don't believe that at all. We do not believe that at all. But we understand that while the priesthood was changed, the work of the Lord has continued. And the work of the Lord has continued through the church. Not through Israel. Not through the things of the temple. Hebrews already showed us that. So he made constant strawman arguments by showing very specific instructions for how they did the tithe in that day. That was for very specific instructions. But again, much has changed under the new covenant. And Hebrews flat out tells us 
giving still pleases God. And since the ministry has changed, the details of that giving are going to change and will continue to change. So that was a bad argument. You know, what if our country goes completely cashless? Will we declare our church no longer, churches no longer old paths because they don't pass a plate anymore? Do you know a lot of churches have quit passing a plate and they have like giving boxes? Some even have like these kiosks and things where you can like swipe a card and do everything electronically. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Yeah, we do. You know why? Because we see people giving. And that's how things are in our system today. And if you don't like that system, that's fine. I don't particularly care for it either. Go join the government and see if you can get them to fix that. But in the meantime, it's not wrong to do that. These are such bad arguments. He liked to bring up how we are under grace, which is true. But you know, sin is still sin. Robbing God is still sinful. And just because how they robbed God back then was a little different than we do today, it doesn't change the fact that it's still sin. The way they would rob God back then, they would withhold the cattle. They would withhold those sacrifices. The specific sacrifices God asked for back then. So they were robbing God by not bringing their cows. They were, not, they were robbing God when they wouldn't bring the turtle doves and the things that God commanded them to bring. But God has told us, stop bringing those things. But you know what? Keep giving. Keep contributing. Keep partnering. And you know what? When we withhold those things, we're still robbing God. It's still robbing God. Just because it looks a little different today doesn't change the fact it's still the same thing. We're still sinning. He brought up preachers who constantly browbeat people on the subject and constantly preach on it. And you know what? That's a completely different subject. That's an example of somebody being unbalanced. That's an example of somebody being obsessed with money. And yeah, you can talk about this too much. You can emphasize it too much. But you know what? You know, how often can I? And he said probably only a couple times a year is enough. And you know what? That just happens to be what I do. But you know what? What if somebody preaches on it three times in a year? Hey, we're under grace, Robert Breaker, so I can preach on it four times if I want to. Yeah, I, I get it, but that doesn't, that doesn't disprove anything. The fact somebody's unbalanced or even the fact that someone is motivated by greed doesn't change the fact it's still true. We have to preach the truth. So, uh, and the Bible does say in Hebrews 13, 17, obey them to have the rule over you. This is right after he's told them to commun- not to forget to communicate. He said, obey them to have the rule of you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And you know what? If I'm not preaching things that are profitable for you, that, that's bad for me. And it's bad for you. And I have a responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. And again, right before that, he said, but to do good and communicate, forget not. So, he also attempted to debunk the tithing before the law argument because the Jews were on the tithe, were to tithe on what they earned. While Abraham's tithe that he did, this is literally what he said, folks. This is why you never want to go full rucktard. Because I couldn't believe when he said this. He said, no. They, he goes to a verse where they were to tithe what they earned. But the Bible says that Abraham tithed on the spoils that he won. And winning something and earning something are not the same thing. It's called tithing on your increase. It's still increase. You know what? If I find $100, 
I'm going to give $10 to the church. I didn't earn it, so now I don't have to tithe. That is so dumb. Okay, it's about increase. And you know what? If Abraham fought that battle and won the battle, I'm sure he earned that victory. So just, but just because of the fact that it said he won, therefore it was a completely different thing from what they did later. No, it's the exact same thing. He got all this increase, and you know what he did? He gave a tenth of it to the Lord. And whether you win it, whether you earn it, it doesn't matter. I, I couldn't believe it. And so, uh, this just, that to me, that just proves that you should tithe on all your increase. That's what I believe. You tithe on all your increase. And so, and again, you know, and nobody, nobody on either side wants to point out Jacob. You know, Jacob said in Hebrews or Genesis 28, 20, and Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that shall come that thou shalt give me. I will surely give the tenth unto thee. I don't hear people on our side usually bring that verse up, but you know what? Robert Breaker did bring it up, and that doesn't count either. You know why? Because Jacob said, if God will be with me. And it's like, are you kidding me? So, you know, the command to tithe, there's no if on that. But there was an if on this, and therefore it's different. No, this is just because obviously if God's not with him, he's not going to succeed. He's not going to gain anything. That's so the the thing is, it's like saying, you know, if I earn a paycheck, I will give a tenth to God. And you know what? If I don't earn a paycheck, of course, I'm not going to give because I don't have anything to give that. Folks, the things that people come up with are just blow my mind. You know why? Because the tithing before the law, that is a good argument it's a, it is a good principle and so uh he says the last thing i'll show you it says at the end he tried to say too that if you teach if you teach right people will probably give more and this is what people do whenever they get done bashing tithing they'll bring up how technically if we tithe if we look at all that you know the bible says tithes they actually tithed on many things. And if we add up all the tithes, it actually comes up to probably more like 25%. But you know, the truth is, the Bible says, you know, let every man give as he purposes in his heart. You know, I think you should probably give even more than 10%. So I'm not teaching against tithing because I'm stingy and I'm trying to hang on to all my money. You know, I think you should probably do more. And, you know, and if you are teaching wrong, if you get people giving a tithe, you're probably causing them to give less. Why? Does the, does the tithe mean that's the maximum you're allowed to give? That doesn't mean that at all. It, it absolutely does not mean that at all. So again, these are just, I mean, like dumb, childish arguments. If you go watch pretty much any video on YouTube debunking it, it's all the same arguments. Why? You know why? Because no two people are going to read their Bible and come up with stuff like that. It, it, there's just absolutely no way. Because Abraham won the spoils. That's not the same as, oh, it just, it blows my mind. At the end of the day, just understand, dude, no one's going to check up on what you're doing. And the only way we're going to have a problem, if you are, if you're just an anti-tither, is if you start teaching people against 
the biblical command to communicate. That, that's not right for you to teach that. We all understand no one can force a greedy person to give if they don't want to give without IRS-type power. And I don't see IRS position in a church or anything like that. I do believe it's between you and God, but just understand the failure to tithe. It's not a failure to follow the law of God from an Old Testament, but it's direct, it's direct disobedience against the command to communicate and participate and to support your local church. It is rebellion against the command to be of one mind. And so, just understand, if you just really feel strongly that, you know, giving is unbiblical and that you just don't want to do it, then, you know, and, you know, you've got all these better priorities for how churches can meet, you think people should just meet in parks every week. And, you know, even in the wintertime, which isn't going to go well for our elderly folks. And again, so if, if we're prosperous, we're allowed to, you know, you all have some nice things. And you know what? No one criticizes you for that. And did you know if, as, as a church, if we decide we want to have something nice, did you know we can do that? It's not unbiblical to, do, to have nice things. Now, you know, are we, you know, you know are, would we rather spend our money, you know, on, you know, missions trips and things like that or like a big fancy colorful sign I'd I'd probably hold off on the fancy sign until we can start doing some of these other things we like to do but again if we decide at some point we want to do something like that we can do that and it's not unbiblical and there's always going to be somebody that's going to criticize it but again you know it's all about you know just we're allowed to decide our priorities and don't let a preacher take a bible and try to prove to you what everyone's priorities are are supposed to be financially on these things. We do have liberty in these areas. And if you don't like how things are done in a church, you probably should just find a church where you like how everything's done. But you know what? You'll never find a church that you like. In fact, you can go ahead and have your home church where you can do everything you want to do. And you know what? You'll eventually have a church split because your family's going to hate you. That's, just, that, that's all there is to it. You've got to learn how to operate in a world where not everyone thinks identically to you. And church is a great place where we can do that. And so uh, hopefully that was a help. Probably should have spent a couple messages on this, but I didn't want to break, go over Robert Breaker's quota that he gave me on how much I can preach on giving. So we crammed it all into one message. If you have any questions about that too, uh, I'd be glad to answer them. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, just the ability to give and to just be a part of the work. And Lord, I pray help us to just understand that we are. We, uh, the work that we are doing here as a church, it is important. It's something that needs to last. It's something to make a difference. And uh, Lord, and, and it does cost money to do the things that we want to do uh, in this uh, world, in this day and age we're living in. But Lord, you have blessed us and we don't really have anything we can com- complain about. So I pray to help us to have the right attitude in these things. And, that you, and I pray that you will lead us and guide us as a church on how to do these things. And I pray we'll just follow your lead and all things. In your name we pray. Amen.